one of the things that we've been continually uh, trying to put before our church in the last what is it eight nine years um, is the uh, is the importance of knowing the children as brothers and sisters um, and engaging with them in genuine relationships. So that's been part of our all age, all stage approach is that um, the children are the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Um, and therefore it is good for the children and it's also good for the adults for them to actually be in genuine um, reciprocal relationships with each other. Welcome back, everybody, to the Shock Absorber podcast. I'm delighted to have you along with us, um, and it's also a treat to have uh, my two usual co-hosts for season three. We had a few different co- uh, hosts come in over the last few episodes, but today I have Stu. How are you? Hello, Joel. It's excellent to have you back again, as usual. Yes, it's excellent to be here. I really enjoy doing this with you. It's heaps of fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, it's also Tim. Welcome back to the Thanks, the Shock Absorber set. We're sitting here in front of the. Uh, uh, Green, beautiful green combi, <laughs> mm-hmm. which has been sitting here for quite a while. Stu, <laughs> you're down down a car at the moment. So the thing with combis is the uh, the rust factor you see, and I don't have a garage, yeah. so there's there's actually method in my madness in oh. using it as a prop because it keeps it out of the rain, and we've had quite a bit of rain, and so it's actually good for the car. That works very nicely for yeah. you. Excellent. It's That's not great for the church having a car parked in the middle of our auditorium <laughs> for going on too long, but at the moment it's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, the reason we have it here is obviously for the Shock Absorber Conference, which is coming up mm. on the 30th of October, which we're very excited about to be yeah. to be doing. We'll be actually doing the – it's online in front of this combi yeah. as well. So um, if you're interested in that, you're, if you're listening or watching, you're interested in the Shock Absorber Conference, definitely go to shockabsorber.com.au and you can register there and it's completely free. We're going to do it on Zoom this time. Later on, we'll probably do more conferences where it'll actually be physical when we can actually meet together and we're allowed to. Um, so we're really excited about that and we can talk mm. about intergenerational ministry. We're doing a focus on hospitality because that's yeah, something yeah. a lot of people have asked us about. So how do we scale up our hospitality teams to be able to serve food right. at, yep. at our services and stuff like that? So you're excited about that? Yeah, yeah, I am excited about it. It's a bit of a pilot, bit of an experiment. Yeah. We want to start it small and just have a go at uh, getting together to keep the conversation around intergenerational ministry growing and including more voices so we're going to look at some practicalities too so it's not just ideas it's actually how do you actually do it so yeah that'll be great the other thing i'm excited about is we've got coming people coming from soul revival church but also people from outside oh welcome soul to revival join us yeah, yeah which is really, we've yeah. actually had a couple of people yeah sign terrific up, which is excellent yeah, it's terrific anyway th- for this episode what we're going to do uh, we're oh, just hey, just before we go on how do we sign up Oh, sure. the web, we've got a new website that you yeah, put yeah. together, which um, is really good. As we said, shockabsorber.com.au, yep. and you just hit, um, there's a link right there. You'll scroll down, you'll see it straight I away. I really so. liked it, Joel. Like, it was really quick. Like, I just had oh, to yeah. fill in three boxes and it was done. I just went, oh, that was really good. So, yeah, a bit of shout out to Joel. That was Oh, thank website. you. That, that was, was the intention. So, that, yeah, that's good. good. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad it, um, it worked out well. Um, but to wrap up this um, season, season three, mm-hmm. we started it by saying, does the church have an image problem? And um, as we've looked at it over many different ways, many different ways uh, of types of youth ministry or different approaches to ministry, it's been really interesting to see how we reflect that back on how intergenerational ministry takes parts of that or what we um, mm. find exciting about that. So that, that's that been really cool. But to wrap this up, we've kind of been talking about how we want to um, talk about maybe perhaps what um, Sorovival churches learn in adopting the Shog Resorber method it's in relation idea. to those. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, as we address the image problem, we've noticed that we do some things well and some things not mm. so well. Mm. But as we always like to do on every single episode before we do that, 
a cultural artifact, as we always like to bring up. And to bring us into the present, Stu, you, you, you thought of one that I thought might be quite interesting. Yeah, I thought I thought about uh, one of the things that Tim was talking about earlier was the fact that uh, it's really interesting to see how culture changes so quickly. Just before we started recording the podcast today, we were talking about the fact that uh, once upon a time, youth culture used to change and morph, but it would take quite a long time to do that, uh, years or whatever. But it just seems to be speeding up because of social media and and uh, you know the the streaming. Uh, services and one of the new streaming products which might actually be a new emerging thing that's just happened in the last couple of weeks is this show called squid game on uh netflix Netflix, and it's become wildly popular and i came across it because my son was watching it one day and i sat down next to him and i admit i haven't sat down and actually watched an episode yet so me either (laughs) it's really new but i think it illustrates what we're trying to do with the shock absorber like how do we actually um uh, interface with culture and so sitting there with my son watching just a couple of scenes on it I must say I was quite uh, shocked by the graphic violence of the few scenes that I saw there was this uh, Tim might be able to give us a bit more background to the show because I think you've thought about it a little bit more than me but not much but I mean I haven't yeah. watched it but I it, it raises interesting questions which um yeah, I'm happy to talk about, but yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you guys can help me out, but I think the premise of the show is that there's some cash-strapped contestants of a game show that sign up for this game show to try and win a prize. And the idea is they have to go through a series of challenges, according to what my son Eli's told me. But the thing that's really horrifying about it is that if you lose in the game, you get killed. And so I just sat down watching this episode where all these people walked in. The, the, the show's from South Korea, I think. There's all these people walked in um, to a room that was set up like an adult-sized playground. And they had to line up behind a specific shape. And then they got a... I think it was like a, a, a children's treat in in South Korea. Um, the, the shape of the the um, shape that they stood behind it was like a if you can imagine like a disc with the shape sort of pressed into it, and they had to get a little pin and cut the shape out without Oof. breaking the shape. And so that sounded fairly innocuous, and I was just sitting there watching them trying to make this thing. But then as they broke it, like people came over who had masks on and indiscriminately just went and shot people. And they just and I just said to Elijah, "Oh, this is full on." Like, and yeah, just a conversation that I then ended up having with him about not just the show, which I obviously don't know much about yet, but you know, how do we interact with that stuff? Um, I suppose that raised questions of, you know, is violence entertainment or is it instructive? You know, I've I've seen different mm-hmm. people on the internet have different views, but for me, I just I just said, "Oh, I'm not, not going to watch it because I found that um, I find it quite." shocking when people who are made in the image of god are just you know killed violently in front of me and i consider that entertainment sitting there eating my popcorn watching someone be killed like that and to me that's very jarring so to share that with elijah he didn't have that impression he watches a movie series he was telling me called john wick which is like a james bond on steroids with lots of violence and and it was really interesting for me and he him my son and i to talk about this this growth of violence in our culture and 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 what we're going to look at today is there's a theologian called Ian Hussey who uh, I've been reading lately for my PhD, which I found really helpful with regard to this kind of thing because Ian says that uh, the when, when it comes to engaging with culture, uh, Australian culture or South Korean culture in this case, uh, what, what he says is interesting is that the biblical writers will at some points critique culture and some points embrace culture and the the idea is that as Christians we can actually um, 
be reading our culture, not just in either embracing it or rejecting it, which is often the two polls that you see on the internet on Facebook conversations about violence, for example. Should we embrace it or is there a, you know, is there a place for us to have violence on TV? Mm. Um, you know, some people say oh, I'm a mature Christian and I can watch it, but I don't suggest you watch it if you're not mature. But, you know, the, the, the thing is that we don't just have to embrace culture. Sometimes we need to critique it as well. And it's not a bad thing to say, hey, actually, this is something I don't want to watch. I'm not going to pollute my soul by watching this thing. And that was kind of where the conversation went with Elijah and I, even on my first viewing of just a few minutes. But, And that's not unique for me. Like when Game of Thrones came out, uh, I had the same reaction to that. I thought it was there was you know a lot of violence and, and sex in it, and I just decided not to watch it. And I was surprised at, at the conversations around that, where some people just embraced it, some people critiqued it. But again, Ian Hussey's helpful because I think it's a more subtle stance to say how do we embrace and critique at the same time. Uh, another example is I went to a movie called 300, I think it was called, years ago when it was at the movies and I went with two friends and we sat down. We had literally had our popcorn in our laps and our Coke and we are just about to watch the movie. It came on and the first scenes were so confronting that the three of us just put our popcorn and our drinks down and walked out. And uh, some people later said to me, oh, that's not very spiritually mature of you to be able to not sit there and watch that and you know critique it and I just went well again for me I, I feel like the biblical writers probably as I've read them would have critiqued some of those scenes and I feel like they were things that I didn't feel comfortable with so I don't feel like I needed to stay and watch it there's plenty of other things to watch so even though I'd spent money on it I just went oh well I'll I'd rather lose my money on that than sit and watch that but other christians will have different approaches so yeah i don't know what you think tim and joel but that's some of well, my thoughts I was just around thinking, Squid Game. it was interesting that you were saying that about eli saying like he didn't wasn't maybe not as affected watching that kind of violence because i remember perhaps when i was around his age i was really keen on watching more violence because i was getting older and i was kind of allowed mm, to watch it so mm. like i was like into bruce willis films and stuff like that but yeah. now as i'm older and uh, obviously a more mature christian i get really frustrated if i'm watching a TV show that I think they've just put the violence or put the sex in there just to make it kind of... To make it more commercial. Yeah, exciting or entertaining rather than like... I I mean, we talked about in previous episodes, I've watched The Sopranos, The Wire, like I'm really watching The Wire at the moment and there is violence in that, but Mm. it's also just like it it builds towards it rather than just being inserted into into the kind of story and I find that I get more frustrated at that that when we put something gratuitous in there just to make us more entertaining, to make sure we've got to keep all our viewers. I find that slightly frustrating. So, but And now I get to the point where I'm like I'm a little bit more like used to. I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't want to watch this. It's mm. like you're not – I don't feel like you're uh, – maybe the writers are developing their craft as much. Instead, it's like, oh, it's more, it is more commercial. It's not an artistic expression. So mm. we can't – not, they're not working hard on keeping the viewer part of the story rather than throwing that in. Yeah, and I think part of the marketing around some of these things is everyone's watching it. If you don't watch it, you'll miss mm. out or you're a prude if you don't watch it. But I feel like there's so much content out there that we can be discerning. And, and as an individual, I, I pick and choose what I want to watch and I don't feel like I have to watch what everyone's watching necessarily all the time. But sometimes I do, you know. I watch The Block on Sunday well, nights and maybe, the block. <laughs> maybe someone could, you know, Lou and I watch that and maybe some people could say, you know, that's voyeurism and it's, you know capitalism on steroids and materialism and all that so but but it's good isn't it that we're accountable to each other by having a conversation about faith we sit under the authority of god's word and then we do what hussie's saying we um we critique and 
and embrace uh, and have that subtle conversation. But that's I think that's how we learn. And that's what I love about the podcast format too, actually. I think interesting to hear what our listeners and our viewers are, are feeling about Tim, this. So really you have, interesting. Sorry, yeah, Tim, you haven't watched yeah. any of Squid Game? No, I haven't watched any of it. Um, and what I mean, I, I, I'm interested in watching people and, and watching c- culture. It's one of the things that intrigues me. Um, and... The only thing I know about Squid Game is that it is over-the-top excessively violent. Mm. And I think that there's something there, like it's intentionally being marketed that way. Mm. And I find that intriguing. I, I find it interesting that um, I, I must watch this because it's the number one rated uh, Netflix show you know, ever in the entire history of Netflix. Um, and uh, it's excessively violent. And it's a little bit like the Game of Thrones. I didn't watch any of the Game of Thrones because the only thing I heard consistently over however many seasons was, oh, this is really graphically sexual. Um, and that's the only thing I knew about it. I knew nothing about characters, development, storyline, anything. The only thing I consistently heard in every article, every meme, every everything was this is excessively sexual. Um, and I just thought, oh, well, if that's the way it's being presented and that's the way it's being marketed, obviously this is what's meant to grab me and is meant to excite me and make me want to watch it. Um, and it's the same if something's being marketed as excessively violent, that's the that's the draw card. Um, now, I haven't um, always been like that. Actually, I, I was thinking even just in the last couple of days talking to my wife about um, the Squid Game was uh, – Many years ago, when we were first dating, um, there was a guy uh, who I was really good friends with, um, and one of the things I was trying to do was to get better friends with him, and he was heaps into horror and mm. movies. Um, so I would watch horror movies with him um, because I was just, you know, wanted to be a friend, and so I got into that for a little while, and one of the things that we would go and watch was um, the first couple of Final Destination films i don't know if you guys remember those ones but again kind of like squid game but you know 20 years earlier the idea was uh here's a whole lot of um really excessively violent death scenes uh barely stitched together with a plot line running through them um and so you go and watch them because of this but because this guy that i was particularly trying to be friends with was into that kind of thriller horror kind of genre um that was one of the things that we would go and watch and, and there was a certain set oh, I, I liked it there was a gratuitousness to it that i'm like oh yeah that's kind of cool and fun and you know um and my now wife girlfriend at the time um she's like this is really not a helpful thing for you to be watching i I'd, actually it makes me uncomfortable that you enjoy watching these things and that was a really helpful rebuke yeah um so that i could look after her and love her but also it was a great corrective to my soul to go actually no that's there is something that's unhelpful there um, that is, uh, yeah, it, it does warp who we are. It, it warps our perception yeah. of things. And again, as I culture watch, one of the things that's intriguing to me and, and kind of worries me uh, is that we have this growing trend, particularly on the streaming services, um, that their shows are pushing the boundaries of language, uh, sexuality and violence. Um, and they're continually being lapped up, which is going to continue to push the creators to do that even more. Um, and when I think about uh, spiritual maturity, there is a certain sense, yes, if I'm spiritually mature, I might be able to watch those things that it not affect me. There might also be a complete lack of spiritual maturity that I'm spiritually quite deadened to the prompting of the spirit, and so I can watch those things and it doesn't affect me um, because I'm actually quite deadened to the spirit's prompting rather than actually heightened 
to the spirits prompting. Um, so it's not a it's not a guaranteed test, right? Like this is and this is why we we're not going to say on any particular show, you know, oh Christians watch this, Christians don't watch this. Like that's not what's going to be happening. We're going to be having conversations about any and everything. Um, but it is one of the concerns that I have, and and I, I posted on Facebook yesterday, and I had a few people comment. But I, I basically just posed a question, kind of with Squid Game in mind, but with other things as well. Yeah, is there a point where excessive violence, sexuality, um, explicit language is actually just there's a line where you've crossed it and it's not helpful, or is the um, oh yeah, but you know it's a great cultural critique. Oh yeah, but it's great storytelling, which is the kind of things I hear often, um, and I've heard in the last two weeks as I've read people's reviews and read articles. Um, even from Christians about things like Squid Game and others, like oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's making this cultural critique, and it's really interesting to investigate the cultural trends, or you know, it's it's attacking capitalism and it's attacking these kinds of things. It's a social critique, uh, and my pondering, and I don't have a settled answer on this, is uh, even if it is doing those things, does that justify the medium itself? Um, and it was the same thing with Games of Thrones. People would say, oh, yeah, well, it might not be for you. You might not be mature enough to watch it and not you know, be tempted towards lust and whatever. Um, but there's just really good storytelling. Like if you, if you took all of that out, it would still be really good storytelling. And again, my, my instinct that I, I think I've been you know, prayerfully working on is, is that okay? Like is that enough of a justification to go, oh, yeah, but it's great storytelling um, and it's okay. Therefore, it's okay that these things are there. So there's a whole lot of rambling thoughts and again I, I don't have a settled opinion um and i haven't watched either of these things that we're really talking about mm. um but i i want to be cautious like I, I want spiritually i want my soul to not head towards things that will deaden the spirit mm. I, I want to aliven the spirit and and i know my own frailty that there will be a part of me that watches things that are violent or sexual or explicit in language and there'll be a part of my sinful nature that enjoys it because of those things uh and i just want to be really careful yeah there's a few thoughts i I think i think the homogeneous unit principle that we've been using as a missional tool for so many years has changed us in the church and i think uh, my critique of the homogeneous unit principle is that it's made us a little bit too embracing of culture that we spiritualize an embrace of culture and and that it's cool to be cool as a christian and sometimes we have a bit of a christian cringe factor which is if we say no to something in culture that somehow we're going back to those dark days of wowserism where christians used to be against smoking and drinking and rock and roll and drums and guitars and we we have this sense particularly people in my generation that we need to be um be where people are and be more incarnational be you know Mm. able to be sit with people in their culture but i think that's opened a door to too many things and I think it's completely appropriate, Tim, as you'll continue to think out loud. And I think it's really brave of you to, to share those thoughts too. As it's not an easy thing to talk about. Yeah. Uh, lovely story of you and Roz talking that through. Great example of a, in, you know, what, what uh, a relationship with someone you trust can help you to think mm. through your faith. But, um, you know, the Bible encourages us to set our minds on things above, not on things below. And I think it's okay to draw a line and say, I'm going to put a boundary around myself and protect myself from these things. I didn't watch Game of Thrones because of what you said. I didn't watch that movie because I didn't want to pollute my spirit. 
And I, I actually think that over the last 20 years, the theme for Christians with mission has been whimsy. Let's be whimsical and sort of engage with culture and show people that we're not old-fashioned and out of touch. But I, I wonder if times are changing a bit. and we ha- I think we need to move more to maybe to courage and have mm. more courage to be able to say, actually, yeah, I, I think that this is not good uh, for me and I'm happy to say I don't want to partake in that and then have conversations with our children about it's okay to say no to things actually it's good for you as a christian to say Mm. no to things i remember i got way into punk music in the 90s and i was so into it that it was becoming too important to me and i decided just to put it all aside and i had a conversation with my brother about that and he he was a really big clash fan at the time and he actually went to the this crazy extent it was back in the day where we used to have incinerators in backyards like (laughs) no wonder there's global warming the way we used to burn off all the stuff in our backyards back in the day in the suburbs in sydney there was a pool of smoke over all the suburban houses but my brother went down the incinerator and he put all his records on the fire and he burnt them and i said greg that's really dramatic he said i just think it had i just want to get rid of them because they turned me into somebody that I mm. didn't want to be mm. and it wasn't the actual music or, and I think he's come back to it in later life again and revisited it but I think that was just him saying oh I just need to draw a line under this because it's changing who I, I don't want to be the person that I'm becoming and uh, I think you know the conversation I'm having with with my boys about stuff like that is helping them to think through is this edifying is this bringing glory to God is this helping you to to be the Christian man that you want to be and if it isn't it's okay not to do it I I feel like we need to say we have the freedom not to watch that stuff if we don't want to and it doesn't matter if people don't think we're cool Uh, I think it's okay to say no to stuff so uh, yeah that that conversation's ongoing it's a really good uh, cultural artifact to finish the the whole thing on really Mm. because I, I suppose one of my thoughts as we've been doing this over the last few weeks is we don't have to be cool to to reach young people. If young people have an image problem with the church, it's not because we're not cool. It's we need to be who we are in Christ and clothe ourselves with Christ. And so uh, interesting ongoing conversation about Squid Games, but I, for one, I'm not going to watch it. I've just decided that's not for me. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and I, yeah I think that's not that a bad thing to do, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, what you both guys have said, it's like yeah, it also good, shows how, imp- how important having the conversation around it yeah, is rather yeah. than sitting at home and watching it all and then going, oh, no, I'm mature enough. Like, yeah. let's bounce it off each other around, like, the truth of Jesus to actually figure out, well, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't be watching it. I was reminded when you were talking, um, Tim, about your discussions with Roz was that during, like, uni exams or school exams, I would binge a TV show and one of them was The Sopranos that we've talked about. And I had watched, I watched maybe three or four seasons and I ended up, I started talking like them, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is not a very, if you've ever watched yeah. The Sopranos, it's not a healthy thing and not a very mm. um, godly thing to be doing. There so you go, that's interesting. Th- um, mm. And I, you get to the point where if you may be perhaps consuming so much of it that you like, you feel like mm, something's not right, you know, mm. like especially if we've got the spirit. And I think that... Um, that I was very much reminded of that. Um, and uh, in relation to that, I've actually decided to delete all the social media off my phone mm. for the last, for, for October. I'm doing it with a, a, a someone at church, um, Zach, and uh, just to see what that changes, how that changes my behavior, because mm. we're so into our phones. And I've noticed that I go to my phone and I go looking for the app and I'm like, oh, it's not there. So I'm trying to find it somewhere else, whether it's in news or just even sport news and stuff like that. So it's quite interesting that if we start talking about these things that are coming up in culture, that we need to keep discussing them. Otherwise, we're probably either going to let them overtake us or they'll 
pass us by and we don't understand why it's actually happening. Mm. And that's why, I mean, when we talk about the whether the church has an image problem, it kind of thinks it's like, well, and it's really good to engage with someone like Ian Hussey, like you're saying, Stu, where, um, where do we stand on these issues and how do we remain um, in the truth of Jesus but also understanding what's going on in culture so we know mm. where we can love and serve people? Yeah, and I think I think the the fact that you're turning off social media for a little while is not a bad thing. I mean, we we uh, in some ways I think we've lost because we live in such a materialistic culture. We've we've lost. Um, sometimes we lose the value of prayer and fasting. That mm. fasting can be a good thing. So, and it can give you time to think it through. Like Tim really articulately shared with us, he's thinking it through, and I think that's what Ian Hussey's talking about. Like um, we don't just automatically either see how we can engage with it or just see how we can critique it and mm. uh, unfortunately social media is pushing us towards those two extremes mm. and i think christian community draws us back into the subtle conversation of embracing and critiquing at the same time yeah i love the idea of like trying to bring back a bit more civil discourse just to mm. be talking about ideas and not just separating ourselves on one idea i think that I was going to say the thing I really like about that theology, that the idea that sometimes it's it's uh, rebuking, sometimes it's embracing, mm. is because um, as we've framed this season about uh, does the church have an image problem? The goal is not to have a good image to the world. Yes. Like that's not the ultimate goal. Uh, the ultimate goal is is to be faithful to the king. Yes. Um, but likewise, neither is the goal to reject all of culture. Um, and to, you know, if, if we're a stench uh, to people, therefore we're doing a good job. So, well, no, no, that's not the measure of success yeah. either. Um, and so the, the, with everything, there needs to be that nuanced conversation that, um, no, that the metric is are we being faithful to the king? Um, and sometimes that will actually align us with culture because by God's common grace there will be things in culture that are actually good things Mm. um, and that we will find ourselves you know uh, to use popular phrase on the right side of history you know like because we actually there are people who are aligned with things that are actually kingdom focused by God's good grace and then there are other things that aren't and so there will be times but whether we're accepted by culture or rejected by culture is not the metric Um, and so I think that 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 really good framework that um, sometimes we'll be accepting and embracing of culture because there are things in there that uh, are aligning with the kingdom and we go, oh, that's, that's really cool. And there are things that we are rejecting and we're always having that conversation. But the dialogue is just so important and the nuance in the conversation is so key. Mm, I think that's really good. And I think if we put first the kingdom of heaven, all else will flow from that. Mm. And I think, yeah, we, we just need to be kingdom-minded Christians who are really keen to bring glory to God and, and enjoy him. And, mm. and, and yeah, I think that's really exciting. To continue to reflect on this season and also the phrase, does the church have the image problem, perhaps not changing what the image of the church is, um, uh, we thought it would be worth looking at. Um, we, we're, we're just actually talking about how there's a lot of ideas that are coming up. They're also, because of things like the internet, their youth culture is changing every five, five years, which, yeah. is, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, how do we, we we kind of thought that we could reflect on um, as a as this season and also as across this um, how Sorrow Evolve is, is is kind of responding to that in a sense. Um, 
we could talk about what we've done differently or what we've changed or what we've done well. And one of the ideas that you, we talked about before actually getting on the, on the microphones was that we could maybe look at things that we've changed practically, um, possibly within maybe in our kids' ministry or youth ministry or our, um, even with our adults. Because mm. um, we've got, um, thankfully, we've got quite a lot of questions that people have started to ask us about the things that we're talking about. Is that something that we'd, we want to get into, Tim? Like, would you want to start chatting about what you think... Um, Perhaps over the years we've maybe even changed um, in relation to youth culture. Or sorry, we should talk about kids because you're our children's pastor. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I'm trying to think of anything that we've changed intentionally because of yeah the culture of childhood. Um, I mean, there are cultural artifacts of childhood, but I think that there's something developmentally that goes on that makes adolescent culture. Mm. And the, the way that adolescents engage with culture different to the way that children engage with culture. Um, so I can't think of anything particular on that front. Um, I think in terms of one of the things that we've been continually uh, trying to put before our church in the last what is it eight nine years um, is the uh, is the importance of knowing the children as brothers and sisters. Um, and engaging with them in genuine relationships. So that's been part of our all-age, all-stage approach, is that um, the children are the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Um, and therefore, it is good for the children, and it's also good for the adults, for them to actually be in genuine um, reciprocal relationships with each other. And so we've talked before on a number of episodes about the idea of kids chill. And the idea of kids chill is that uh, we have... Uh, all safe adults in our church are encouraged to spend time with the kids in the kids program. Um, and so what this does is it puts the adults and the children in relationship with each other for the benefit of both uh, and for the genuine ongoing discipleship of both. Um, one of the things that has uh, we may not have uh, done as, as well as that, or we haven't seen the same uh, results as we want, is because it is a continually trying to communicate the value of that um, and it is um, it's different uh, to the way that most of us have grown up. If those who have grown up in churches, um, intentionally spending time with adults with children is not common. Um, you might have the kids' leaders that have good relationships with their kids and are intentionally leading them, but for the rest of the adult congregation, kids is something that happens over there, uh, and we, we kind of don't know what goes on in those rooms over there. That's That's the kids' ministry... Unless I'm a parent. If I'm a parent, I may be vaguely interested in what's happening over there. And if I'm not a parent, or oh, my kids have grown up, uh, then I don't really care what happens in those rooms, to be honest, because I know that stuff's going on. Um, and we're trying to intentionally break that homogeneous unit where the, the adults and the kids don't mix. We're intentionally trying to bring that together. But it is just the slow burn of constantly trying to communicate that to people. Um, and, yeah, I, th I think there are times when that's, gone well and there's times when it hasn't there's times when I've tried to explain that to people um, and uh, Jenny Rigger who was before me as in the children's coordinator role uh, trying to communicate that really well and articulately and some people will go oh okay I get that and then there's people that I don't understand what that is and so that's one of the things that we're continually trying to work on in order to bring this to bear. Do you want to just quickly explain the idea of kids chill just if anyone's not 100% Yeah sure. so as I said the, the idea is that um, also programmatically what it looks like is um, for our kids ministry time at um, most of our services uh, gatherings 
is there's a time of kids teaching because we think that, as we've talked about in a couple of episodes ago, uh, we still think there's value in having that peer group together and learning in ways that are age and developmentally appropriate um, and express faith in particular ways. So that's still good and valuable. So we have some time of kids teaching. And then we also have time where we call kids chill. And really the only point of that is to hang out together in relationship. Mm. Uh, so if we go back to some of our earlier seasons of the Chalk Absorber where you guys were talking about third place theory, um, that's one of the things we're trying to do in Kids Chill is create this third place, which is uh, it's not home, it's not school, it's just an enjoyable social space for children. And because we're all age or stage, you map that on top of third place, we see that it's not just children as a peer group enjoying this social space together but it's actually them enjoying that social space together with people who are different to them teenagers middle adults senior adults and they can all enjoy that space together one of the things that is distinctively there is actually it's the kids space in a way like it happens in the kids rooms and the adults are invited into there so it's not just the kids being invited up into the adult space um, and a number of churches do that uh, quite well in inviting the kids into the adult gatherings and they might do prayers and songs and whatever um, and that's one way of helping all age all stage relationships to happen we've intentionally done it the other way where it's the children's space that is located in and the adults are coming into there and so you get that uh, reciprocal relationship you get that ability to be friends together and so the people that we engage as chill leaders as we talk to them uh, my sales pitch is here's your entire job description you are to be a friend of the kids. Mm. That's it. That's all you have to do. Um, you, you're not a kids leader. That's a different group of people. There are people who are kids leaders, but the kids chill. All you have to do is hang out with kids. Uh, it might be playing handball, might be playing a board game. Um, if it's a rainy day, it might be you know watching a movie with them, but you're just enjoying them. You're sharing with life with them and you're partaking in that intergenerational, all age, all stage and third place um, theory all at the same time so that that's the I- idea with kids chill but again that is so different to the way that we are used to churches functioning um, that it, it does take a lot of consistent communication uh, for to help people see this is not your week on babysitting uh, you're not doing the adults a favor by keeping the kids out of the way and occupied um, that's not what we're doing um, where we're not providing a space for kids so that adults can get on with real church. Um, yeah, so there's a number of those kind of barriers that we're breaking down and just long-formed habits and the ways that people think uh, that we're trying to break down by doing that. I've built quite a lot of train tracks during kids' chill. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, Stu, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, when Jenny and I first talked about that, Jenny Rigger came up with the idea of kids' chill that uh, – Different churches do intergenerational ministry different ways and some intergenerational ministries get all the kids into the church service with the adults mm-hmm. for the whole of the service and there's, that's a great experiment too and a really good thing that people are trying. One of the things we found with that is um, uh, that works for some kids but if kids are a bit busy and they, they find it hard to, to, to sit for an hour or mm-hmm. even if we change the service so they can have lots of points of integration, sometimes it's hard to hit kids of each age group um, in a service as well so you might hit the kids in third class in primary school or you might hit the really young kids or with something that they can engage with but it, it's um, developmentally it can be a challenge anyway and not that it's something we shouldn't continue to try but what we've tried to do is say 
what would it look like if we don't try and fit all the intergenerational stuff into one thing? And we do do things together as church with our kids on Friday night, uh, with the year five and six kids every week. And they get actually participate in the church service mm-hmm. on Friday night as well. That, uh, we want to do more of, you know, today's podcast is about, you know, what could we do better as well as what have we done well. But we could do better at getting more kids in praying and reading in service and doing things like that. But what we thought with the kids chill was, what if we actually not only invited the children into the adult context to participate in the in the service with us but if we also went into their spaces as well and so there is a big uh, issue around child protection in that so we really rigorously explored how to do that in a very safe way for the children and so um, we started this kids chill team that needed for people to have all the same checks and balances as the kids leaders but then once they'd gone through those processes and as tim called them safe adults we thought wouldn't it be cool if if adults say once a term spent time with kids um, while the service is going we do the kids teaching time before the church service starts and then the kids chill happens while the service happens on a Saturday night and so on Saturday night there's handball and there's train tracks and I've done that uh, quite a few times and I've shared on the podcast how great that's been just to get to know young people and and when we first started this was about 10 years ago so the kids I did kids chill with who were in year six 10 years ago and now uh, 16, 17, mm. and so I've known them for a long time in uh, in a very appropriate relationship that is mm. that is child safe, but we've developed good friendships so that as they're emerging as adults, they're feeling quite comfortable to come and talk to me about things and share thoughts, and, and that that's that um, idea of the shock absorber, that creating a space where we can have a, uh, a, an appropriate relationship there. Uh, so on Saturday night we do it during service, but then Tim's been experimenting on Sunday morning with doing kids chill and the teaching time at the same time. So it's quite a s- flexible idea, but the general idea is how do we help adults to feel permission to form safe relationship with children and partner with the parents in the spiritual formation of their children and be a, a family. The church is a family or a village. You know that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child and and there's lots of role models that are young adults teenagers adults for the kids in the church and creating that space but as tim said i think one of the things we could do better is articulate that and explain it better one of the things jenny found hard was uh explaining to people why it's a good idea to join the chill team and sometimes we haven't had enough people in the chill team and our leaders have had to carry the Mm. the the load of that and i think that's been probably where we need to focus more energy in the future for that and, and I suppose that leads on to the teenage stuff too, that we we hope for the same thing with teenagers, that people become friends with teenagers. And um, coming back to that Squid Game conversation I had with my son, that they could have conversations about, oh, why are you watching it? What is this? I mean, talk about the shock absorber in action two weeks ago when I, I'd never heard of Squid Game. And I said to Elijah, what is it? And he said, oh, everyone's watching it. It's massive. I, I didn't even know that. So, <laughs> so that was the my son being you know more familiar with cultural change and i think as we've said before the shock absorber needs to be flexible and strong so i think for me to bring some biblical perspective to that uh not shutting it down and just critiquing it but to say well you know how do you feel like uh you can you can use the bible to help you to discern what's good or what's not about that and i think elijah's still in a zone where he's thinking about it what what do i think about this Mm. um medium but it's good he's thinking about it and probably wouldn't have thought about it if i hadn't had that conversation with him so in churches having adults saying asking questions that aren't necessarily negative but oh why do you like that what what's in that for you there is a big issue in 
our churches at the moment where a lot of people don't feel like they're cool enough to talk to young people. But they're just people and mm, yeah. people can talk to people. So I think we've got a little way to go to recapture some of that vitality in our churches. Yeah. And when there's a, a, a community around your son, Elijah, that it's not just dad having this conversation with me, but it's, it's also my leaders, it's my friends, mm. it's just older people at church who are also communicating and particularly for adolescents who are working out that, you know, where am I at? Uh, in my development, I'm a child of my family, but I'm also differentiating from my family. And so having that network around them where parents retain a really significant influence, but also so do peers and other adults. The, it's the other adults who are able to speak into uh, the teenagers' lives and have those really safe conversations um, who are able also to help Elijah think through you know, these kind of things from different perspectives. Um, that will... Yeah, that, that's the community vibe. That's the village that's helping mm. raise him. And that's what's really exciting about um, being an all-age, all-stage church where our children and teenagers are known uh, not just by their parents, not just by their leaders, but actually even a wider circle of people around them as well, um, that they can go and have these different conversations um, and which are all reinforcing the same gospel-centred kingdom values but for in different voices, different ways, uh, and that's going to be really important. Just on the bringing up Squid Game again, I, I, like it, it might, it's my understanding that it's almost like it's a real-life video game, and I wonder if one of the reasons it's so popular amongst Elijah's age or around that age is because video gaming is such a big mm. thing. So I wonder if there's a, a link a between point. those two yeah, things. I think but, so. um, uh, anything else we want to add with youth? Like Stu, you've, you've, I mean, you've got so much experience in youth ministry. I'd love to hear what you've got to add to that. I think that it's becoming interesting that what I'm hearing around our area of Sydney in the Wollongong region in the southern part of Sydney in Australia is that in the 90s we had bigger youth groups and in the 2010s and now in 20s our youth groups are smaller on average and I'm interested in that. I'm interested if our viewers and listeners are experiencing that in other locations other than just Sydney but it seems like um, youth ministry is changing uh, it's got us talking on this podcast about next season it might be good to look at some of the cultural developments uh, that are going on and how the church is interfacing with some of those cultural developments in a fun way by maybe looking at a different musical artist and then looking at some of the contribution that that artist has had like Beyonce and what she's um, been contributing to the Black Lives Matter uh, um, uh, phenomena yeah. and then in the movement and and how does how do we as the church both, uh, yeah, em, embrace and critique the cultures around some of these changes in the two thousand and tens, like and twenties? That'll be fun to do. But I think I think in youth ministry, it's it's really important that we continue to have the conversation and have spaces. So my encouragement is that we keep creating spaces that are discipleship focused and missional as well. Mm. That we actually are reaching out to young people who aren't in the church as well as trying to have those conversations with Christians in the church. So I think when I look at some of the things that we've done over the last 10 years as a church in youth ministry, I think the intergenerational ministry has helped us because it has increased discipleship and missional um, ab ability. So it, you know, by having a meal together in a family, it is actually a different way to do youth ministry in the Sutherland Shire. I think a lot of families and even teenagers are used to churches running a youth group for teenagers, pitching it as a culturally cool way for 
kids to be Christians. And I don't know that that's something that is engaging as many young people as it used to. So I think it's worth at least thinking of, you know, we're, we're trying the intergenerational approach. It'd be interesting to hear if other people are trying different things to, to change the uh, expression a little, but keep the message the same, uh, keep that same gospel message and our strong theology. The other thing I'd like to say on that is I think our ideas need to come from the gospel. We need to have gospel, we need to be gospel people and our ideas or our hermeneutic needs to come from the gospel. The challenge for youth ministry over the, since the 1960s that we've been talking about in this podcast, a good summary of even the last three seasons actually, is how do we engage with the ideas or the hermeneutics from the world? Because the homogeneous unit principle says, well, let's create a culturally relevant uh, ministry to, to skaters, let's say, skateboarders, and let's engage with that hermeneutic. But the hermeneutic of skateboarding has positives and negatives. And Ian Hussey says, don't just unthinkingly adopt the culture that you're a part of, but critique it and, and embrace it. So that's why uh, the intergenerational aspect's good because if we're working with skateboarders and there's an older person there and they notice a certain negative about that culture, they can critique that. But then not just critique it because they might actually embrace things in that culture that other people don't embrace. So having different eyes watching the same issue is good. I think I think more and more I'm reading more about the fact that the church, the hermeneutics of Christians is more and more influenced by the world, I suppose, than ever before because of the internet, because of social media, because of streaming. There's so many ideas coming through social media. And, and I think sometimes I'm hearing people in the church using hermeneutics or ideas from the world to say whether what we're doing in the church is right or not. And I think that might be an interesting exploration for next season to, to talk about how can we have our ideas really shaped by the gospel rather than by um, different hermeneutics, whether they be cultural or whether they be political, like um, there's more and more people that are really, really influenced by their either their right-wing political views or their left-wing political views. And so uh, I'm seeing Christians in church arguing about politics more, which is really interesting, mostly on Facebook rather than actually together. So people come together and not really talk about it at church, but then when they're online, they're having these big engaging discussions and a lot of the hermeneutics that are being discussed or the ideas that are being discussed are from outside ideas. And I wondered recently thinking, is it because the homogeneous unit principle is teaching us to be incarnational and to be a part of a certain subculture that we end up imbibing that subculture? And when does it become syncretism? When do we actually end up combining our Christian faith in an unhelpful way with worldly ideas? And so I think if we use Hussey a bit next next season to to dig a bit deeper into what what are some of the ways to understand culture and then how can we bring some theological um, thoughts to bear on that. I think that'd be really fun, actually. I was thinking, um, sorry, I'd actually love to do that. I think that's really interesting. The, um, the thing we were talking about how... Um, the trend across the areas is that our, the numbers in youth ministries is dropping. Yeah, and I do wonder if that's um, uh, we're talking about how these days the internet it um, it allows us to be even more individualistic and create as ma- even more and more subcultures that we just if we're going to approach it trying to address certain subcultures we're just going to get lost because there's just so many now. Mm. Like mm. I'm just wondering if that um, would be the reason why sometimes we struggle to engage the youth in culture is because there's so many subcultures we don't know where to put ourselves in that subculture. Uh, uh, Tim might have some thoughts on that, but briefly, 
one of the things I find fascinating is I think back to the 80s when I was growing up and I wanted to associate with a certain subculture. Mm. And so I liked uh, The Cure. I liked Radio Birdman. They were two bands that were around at the time. And there was a vibe around those bands that if you liked those bands, you didn't like Guns N' Roses. And you wore black jeans instead of stonewashed jeans. <laughs> and instead of having a mullet, you had short hair or... And then later in the grunge era in the 90s, I, I think I associated with grunge music and dressed more like Nirvana. And But what I'm finding now in, in youth culture is I'm noticing that one teenager can actually be in multiple subcultures mm. at the same time. And I think that's where it's getting really confusing. So not only are there a pluralification and a multiplication of different subcultures now, but one teenager is not just a Cure fan or, or a surfer or a subculture. So it's hard to develop a targeted ministry to a certain demographic or a certain homogeneous unit when even those homogeneous units have so much plurification within them. I find that really interesting. Would you see, I think, like your son, Micaiah, for example, would you see him growing up in that way? Like, he, how old's Micaiah? So, he, oh, he's 12. So, he's, yeah. he's about to become, yeah, he's becoming a teenager. Would you, would you suggest that's possibly what's happening? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things is... Um, as you say, to you, there is this purification of interests, and so it is harder to find all of your identity in a particular subculture because everything's so niche, uh, and so because there's so many options. Um, and again, uh, when you know, largely when we were growing up through high school, I and mean, we're, we're all slightly different generations to each other, but um, there wasn't that much choice. And so you could pretty much guarantee that when you came to the playground, um, the same types of music that were being listened to, others were listening to that because you might have had, you know, this, this genre or this genre or this genre, but you could find the people who were also listening to your genre. Um, and then TV shows, I mean, we, you know, I grew up in the, you know, did my teenage years in the mid to late 90s. You know, there's basically four TV channels. Um, and only two or three worth watching on any given night. And so you come to school and you can pretty much guarantee that everyone in your year uh, has largely watched the same thing last night. But with this purification of uh, streaming services and everything else, I mean, there's lots of good things there. Um, but what it means is that there's no guarantee that when my son goes to school, he's watched the same thing on a weeknight or a weekend than any of his friends. Um, so, that, and that's why I think why some of these things like the Squid Games becomes quite iconic is because all of a sudden there's something that everyone is gravitating to yep. and then everyone kind of splits off from there. Um, some people will get excited about that and therefore will go deeper down the rabbit hole of, oh, South Korean dramas. And some people will go down a different rabbit hole. And so you, you then, Netflix then knows how to you know, do their algorithm in such yep. a way that you, you get led into different directions. Um, and so you've got this plurification as you've got going on. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is harder to – it means that as leaders, we, it's harder to know what we're relating to in terms of youth culture as well. Um, so it, when I was leading a few years after I was in high school, again, there was still – I kind of knew the things – that the teenagers were watching because it was still the same basic four channels. So even if I wasn't watching or I thought it was a bit juvenile, I at least knew the sort of things that they were watching. Um, there was a big moment that I realised how old I was getting and how out of touch with youth culture. When I was having a conversation, this is probably about 10 years ago now, um, 
But I realised that the, the, I think it was a bunch of year 13 students. So they were sort of 19, 18, 19 year olds. And they were talking about uh, all these names and things that I didn't know. And I thought, oh, what's, what's going on here? And I was curious and I was asking. I realised they were all talking about their favourite YouTube star. Mm. Um, and at that point, uh, I was too far removed from youth culture to have a favourite YouTube star. I didn't, uh, but what that means is that if I'm going to be shock absorber, if I'm going to express that, is not to go, oh, you guys are dumb because you're into YouTube. Really, you should just be watching, you know, commercial TV. But it's, go, it's to be curious and then to say, oh, well, tell me about that. Yep. I don't know anything about that. Um, and I've got to know that I can, I'm humble enough, I suppose, in a way to be able to be curious and not, and be taught by those who are younger than me. That's an important part of the shock absorber in practice. Um, and so when it comes to ministering to teenagers, um, trying to engage with them, uh, the, you need to have this curiosity. You need to be able to say, tell me about that. I don't know. Um, I think uh, it's more loving too. Well, it is more loving, yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're just trying to listen to someone and, and hear what they're, they're passionate about or interested in. Yes. Yeah, and yep. I think that's where perhaps we're going to the point is that like, well, if we if we keep trying to fit ourselves into different subcultures, we're, we're, we're almost unable to show people love. Whereas if we base it on Jesus as the thing that brings us all together and levels the playing field, then we can go, oh, I'm just curious about that. Like that. And like, I don't have to be is superior like i don't have to have the same amount of knowledge about it but i can mm. still listen to people and love those those guys and i don't have to become a fan of all those things as well like we i don't have to catch up with yep. all of the subcultures um uh, it, it's a loving thing to remember particularly if you've got a small group of people that you're particularly ministering to like you know if you're a, a year nine boy leader you know and you've got these particular names the of the, the actual teenagers in front of you that you're ministering to, yeah, keep on track on what they're into. This this one's heaps into, you know, a particular Japanese subculture of such and such. And this guy's really into... Like anime or something. Anim- like yeah, some sort of anime culture. And this guy's really into, you know, uh, Southern American rock and roll. And it's like, you just, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, like, know those things. But I don't have to become a fan of those things. I don't have to go deep into those things uh, for the sake of those, I just need to love them by being curious and remembering to ask them, oh, like, is there a new series you're into? If, if I was to watch one episode, um, what, what could I watch? Mm. Or, if, or if there was one band that I could listen, I could chuck it on the car from this genre of music you're into, I'd have to become an expert at that. Um, but I'm showing love just by being curious and engaging in those mm. ways. Let, let them be the teacher. Absolutely. Kind of yeah, rather yeah. than having to research all the time. Yeah. That, that comes back to what Andrew Root was telling us a few episodes ago when he was talking about play sharing, just be there with people. And yep. one of the things I love doing is playing chess with Elijah, my son Elijah, and I, I, I'm not a massive fan of chess and he beats me all the time. <laughs> and, and, but I don't, I don't sort of try and turn it. It's not about the chess. It's about just hanging out and yep. talking. And, and I am learning how to play it actually and starting to enjoy it more and more. So, that's cool. yeah, I think that's really giving yourself permission not to know everything. You don't have to be an expert. But then the things you do know about, you can feel confident to pass on because there's a conversation you're having. So, and that's part of the maturity, like you're passing on the maturity and more knowledge of the yeah, Bible. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And um, and you might have the chance to reciprocate then as well. And and again, with with teenagers, you know, there there is a developmental stage that they're still quite egocentric. They might not be <laughs> at a stage where they um, turn the conversation. Oh, Joel, tell me what what genre do you right. like? Yeah, yeah. They they're not necessarily a developmental stage to have that maturity to 
turn the conversation around. Well, they might laugh at you because they think yeah. you're daggy. Yeah, well. that's so, right. Yeah, and you go, uh, yeah, I'm into guns and roses. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm into the darkness. Uh, <laughs> well, and, I thought uh, when you said Southern Rock and Roll, American Rock and Roll, I thought of Eliminated by ZZ Top. I I'm quite <laughs> yeah. partial to that album. Um, but you might have an opportunity to share some of those things. Um, and I remember when I was a teenager, some of my leaders sharing music with me that became quite influential to me. Um, but, you know, again, it happens through all stages. So it's not just youth ministry. When I'm talking to someone um, who's in their, you know, 50s, um, and so they're a generation ahead of me, and I'm finding out things about them, and they might ask me, oh, so what about you? What music? And I, and I might throw them, oh, if you're going to check out one, you know, late 90s skate rock punk band, <laughs> um, you know, here's, here's the album you should really dig mm. into. Um mm. And, and they might listen to it and go, wow, that was rubbish. And you go, yeah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Just something on that, Tim. My other son, Ethan, uh, has grown up in Soul Revival, I suppose, so he's used to this conversation. And one of the things that was interesting that as you were talking, I remembered that on his, at, at his 21st birthday, Ethan, uh, people were asking Ethan, what do you want for your birthday? And instead of asking for things he wanted, he said, why don't you give me your favourite CD? That's and, awesome. And, that, and I thought that's a really good example that even though when he was 16 he wouldn't have said that, by the time he became 21 he, he was asking all his relatives and his friends that he thought, I'll, I'll actually get to know you a bit better if you give me your favourite CD. Such and, a good idea. and he was celebrating uh, the fact the other day over dinner that his favourite CD now is one that his auntie gave him for his <laughs> 21st, which is, what's that song, Diamonds on the Soles of Your Shoes? Who, who was that? Oh, I, don't know. I can't remember. It was an 80s album. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll ask Ethan and let everyone oh, know. Paul Simon. Paul Simon. Yeah, Paul Simon. So he's this 21-year-old and Ethan's quite eclectic. I think he likes Paul <laughs> Simon, the Beatles and and all sorts of other things. <laughs> he loves the Arctic monkeys. and Anyway, but what was cool is he's, rather than him saying, well, my preferences are this, I want you to give me presents based on that. He's, well, I'd like to learn about mm. you. And he learned heaps about people through, you know, he got all sorts of different eclectic music that's now helped to shape him to become a bit of a broader person. And I think that's what I like about this season. Uh, we're all growing and changing and we don't have to get it right all the time, but we're knowing that we're following the Lord Jesus. And I just keep coming back to how Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. So at the end of all things, pointing people to Jesus in our conversations and helping people to get to know him is is really exciting. And that's the goal that I think we we need to keep focused on, yeah. Mm. Well, um, at risk of sounding like um, cranky, cranky old people, like talking about <laughs> the youth, why don't we talk about adults as well? Like, what have we learned in terms of? Um, I know that one of the questions that you've got from uh, doing a YouthWorks intergenerational roundtable, Tim, was how do you not lose adults? Like, we can. It's uh, Shocker Zorba talks about the youth are at the cultural forefront, but we obviously need to bring the Bible to bear on those cultural changes and they change every five years. Mm. But then um, the I know that one of the questions you got was how, did, how do you not lose the adults on the way of doing that? Do you guys want to answer that? Yeah. Uh, so Well, it was actually a question directed at, at Stu from a presentation that he gave at one of our events, um, which was excellent. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass this to you, but it's a couple of thoughts, I suppose, is um, one... Uh, I suppose a shadow of what could happen if you tried to take a shock absorber approach where you're constantly trying to listen to the young people and ad adapt, you know, both that, you know, accept some and, and rebuke others or whatever it is, um, into your church culture uh, is that 
the those who are in the older generation will feel that you're not listening to them. And so what um, part of what Stu's been trying to articulate um, practically in our church, um, as well as you know, as as an influencer on other people as well, but it's not. It is listening to those who are at the cultural forefront of change, but we're also listening up as well, and we're trying to listen to what they're saying, and um, we're all working this together, and, that, and that's what it is to be a family, right? That's why I, I love the idea of family and um, Paul's metaphor of household of faith as one of the defining metaphors of what we're trying to do as a church because when you're in a household, when you're in a family, um, you are listening to what Nana says as well as to the preferences of the preschooler and, and everyone in between. Like you're all working together um, because there's a genuine love and concern there. And so having a shock absorber approach is not only listening to those who are at the cultural forefront of change, who are the shock absorbers there and to the young people, but uh, also we're, we're listening to everyone. We're, we're caring about everyone and we're trying to help everyone uh, go through these changes. One of the interesting things though, and, I'll, and then I'll chuck to Stu, there was a book uh, written a number of years ago um, coming out of Fuller Youth Institute called Growing Young. And one of, they had six principles that they found when they interviewed, I think it was like 800 churches across America, uh, on churches that were growing young instead of growing old. So the stereotype is that churches grow old because they're not keeping their children and teenagers and young adults. Um, and so they looked, who, are, who is growing young? Who's actually doing well, particularly in youth and young adult ministry? And they, they surveyed all these churches and they found that they had six things in common. And one of the things they had in common, one of their six principles that they found, was that churches that were growing young uh, were prioritising um, their, their energies, their ministries, their, the financial resources towards young people. And they found that when they did that, the older people didn't get disenfranchised. Mm. So what they were able to do is they were able to hold those things in tension. They were able to prioritise um, youth, young adults um, and, and pour energy into them. Um, but when they did that well, the older people actually didn't feel jaded and pushed out by that. They actually really enjoyed the fact that their church was vibrant, that their church had life, you know, that they could see the next generations coming through. And even when they didn't get particular attention, the older generations, there's a number of really great quotes in that chapter of people who said, yeah, I just love that our church loves young people. Um, and you know, as a 50-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old, I can see that the investment our church is having in these young people is actually benefiting everyone. Um, and so that I think that's really valuable as well. Stu, uh, yeah, again, this was your seminar and then the question for you, like how do we not lose people? Yeah, something I've learned over the years which has surprised me is that I've spent so much energy and time thinking through how do we engage with young people that I've forgotten there's a second half of that, that if you that not only do we need to keep coming up with new expressions, keep the, the gospel the same uh, message and teach the Bible uh, in a really strongly orthodox way, but come up with new expressions, new strategies for ministry takes a lot of effort. Like how do we engage with all these new different subcultures? I mean, we were talking just before the podcast about Eshes. That's a new uh, subculture in Sydney that that I struggle to to, to see uh, <laughs> connections with. Uh, I'm not into champion sportswear. It makes me look like a tennis player and I don't wear <laughs> satchel bags and, and, you know, and there's a lot of things about that culture I don't understand. <laughs> so I, I sit in and I think, oh, how do I engage with those young people and what do I embrace, what do I critique using 
that biblical formula from Hussey, I suppose. But that that's only I've only re- reason recently kind of realised that that's only half the equation. As hard as that sounds to work out how do we engage with young people, and we have an image problem with young people, how do we do with that? Which is the whole of this podcast. But the the great question that you've had, Joel, is how do we not lose adults in the process? So we have to do two things at once. We have to engage with the youth subculture and we have to bring the adults with us at the same time. So a youth leader, youth minister, anybody who works with young people has to be really able to interface with young people and then explain it to older people and, and have those two conversations happening at the same time. And so the theory of the shock absorber is, well, let's bring all those people together so that they're in a common space so that they can get to know each other, form relationships so that they experience it as well as just talk about it. Uh, but but the other thing is, even at Soul Revival Church where we've been doing this so long, I think we haven't always done that well. So I know there's a lot of people at our church that don't listen to the podcast the podcast the shock absorber because they think it's for young people this is for the oh you know Stu's been a youth minister for 20 years youth ministry is his passion that's nice he's doing a podcast about young people that's great um sometimes uh that can even turn to be even more negative which is oh Stu's just talking about young people all the time and what's this crazy name shock absorber and there's all these terms i don't i don't know why how that's relevant to me in my generation so i think even at uh, as we talk about young people, we need to be thinking how can we communicate that up and down uh, to older people and younger mm. people. And people who've been in the homogeneous unit principle all of their lives, sometimes 40 years, it's really difficult to explain that this new paradigm and they just don't see it through that lens. So I think, I suppose what I'm exploring is I think we need to start with the known and help people to start with what they know about church and then start talking about the unknown off the back of that. Mm. So one of the great conversations I had with a guy my age at our church who hadn't listened to the podcast because he thought it was for young people was I said, well, the shock absorber has to be flexible and strong and we and our generation bring it its strength and they give us the flexibility. And he went, oh, okay, I'll get it. So I, th- I think over time talking about it helps people to come together, but it is a challenge and and I think it's a similar, it's a fundamental challenge. Like it's not a little one, it's massive. because, yep. And it's as big as in the 1960s when people first started the homogeneous unit principle. Because the traditional generation, many, many people from the war generation did not accept the homogeneous unit principle. And they stayed traditional. And they always thought that the prayer book and in the Anglican system that we are or you know, other tribes it's you know just the traditional ways of doing things was authentic Christianity and these new fandangled cultural you know things like guitars and drums they never got that and unfortunately I think there'll be people uh, in our churches that just never get the idea of being intergenerational because they've thought no the way to do church is in generations I don't feel comfortable with young people that's not my thing kids chill's not my thing because I don't do kids ministry you know people will be used to specialization of ministry Mm. so much that they just don't think outside that box and I think that's okay so my view is I think you know we we try and continue to embrace a biblical hermeneutic in our church of family which is exactly what I think it is it's very biblical and just keep talking about it but not in a droney kind of way where we're kind of insisting on compliance and and I think the church is very diverse and some people will jump into it and some people won't. Just, um, I think that's actually a really good way to wrap up the entire podcast, but I was just thinking those two things that you're talking about is that um, it's almost like the flip of engaging 
the youth, which we know we focus all about. It's also engaging people who have been part of homogeneous unit principle for such a long time that we need to see that as a, a really valuable thing, but also a thing that's like that will take a long time to change yeah, and, and to so. understand. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, guys, I just was going to think for the to wrap up season three when we're talking about um, uh, does church have an image problem? I'd just love if you could briefly just tell me like one thing that really stood out to you for this um, series, which I thought was cool. I, I, I thought I'd go first and just say the one thing that I was reminded of um, when you were talking about earlier, Tim, um, Kids Chill, was um, when you shared earlier in the season of those uh, that boy who went to school and said to the, his teacher one of his friends was pregnant, but it was because she was um, older than 30 and mm. she'd been part of his life as in kids' chill. So I think that's a, a, a really beautiful way of um, explaining how we try and see, for example, just kids' ministry in within the intergenerational approach. So that would be mine. Do you want to share yours first, Tim? And then we'll go yeah, to well, one thing. Um, I... Again, I, I mean, I, I really enjoy being a part of this season, so thank you for in, inviting me along. Um, I, I do think in, in theory, like that's, that's my happy space. So having talked through the different views of youth ministry and engaging with you know, thinkers like Andrew Root and Chap Clark and Mal Nell um, and those kind of guys, is uh, I love thinking about that. I think it, it kind of comes naturally to me to be in that space. So just be able to think those through and articulate it externally process it with you guys has yep. been a really helpful um, part of that and, and just to see how each of them uh, have influenced us like we have taken ideas from mm. different um, thinkers uh, and you know, kind of in that same way we, we've embraced some of their ideas and, and we've critiqued other bits of their ideas and so um, as we try and work out okay what does it mean for us in our context to try and um, live as as gospel-centred as we can in, in the way that we um, are convicted um, is, is biblical and theological um, and also helpful and practical and missional um, and, and discipleship. So that's been really helpful to I me. I think it's how you get better ideas, just bouncing many ideas off one another for a long time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly how I learn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Stu, anything that you'd like to think about from the last season? Yeah, I, I really love the uh, episode with Dave Lovell that we talked mm. about Christian surfers and hearing Dave talking about Lord of the Rings, not only Lord <laughs> of the Rings and surfing in the same podcast, which I thought was fantastic. And the Ramones. And the Ramones. <laughs> and yeah, true, true. But not only uh, surfing Ramones and Lord of the Rings, but when he talked about Lord of the Rings as Silmarillion, and I haven't even read Silmarillion. I'd only read the three, what are they? Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, you know, <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring, all that. So I'm going to dive back in, in my holidays over Christmas. I've ordered a copy of the Silmarillion. Nice. I'm going to read that over christmas break so yeah that's what i'm well thanks again to dave for for jumping on the podcast that was really cool so that'll wrap us up for this season thank you very much for the time you guys have spent and the thoughts that you've brought to us and i think that i really enjoyed the humility you've also brought to this episode we're talking about well maybe there's some things that we can do better we're not always perfect so that's really cool but um thank you very much guys i really appreciate it thanks joel and thanks for yeah thanks for facilitating these Mm. each week you've done a Terrific job over it all this season <laughs> as well you. as the last two. Well, it's just fun for me. It so is. It's really <laughs> good. So yeah, thank no, you. you've done well. Um, and as we said, we'll wrap up this season, but don't forget the Shock Absorber Conference coming next uh, Saturday, 30th of October. So check that out if you're interested. Go to the shockabsorber.com. Sorry, 
I'll say that again, it's shockabsorber.com.au where you can register for that and it's on the main page. You can just click register. Um, we'll be in front of this green combi, as we said. Um, also, check out uh, the other content that we're putting out on Sorrel Revival Church's YouTube page. If you're interested in that, we've got the Chip Lunch podcast where we talk about different people growing up as a Christian. As Christians, we also have our digital services, so check that out. Um, thank you very much for listening to this season, guys, or watching if you're watching on YouTube. Um, and as always, we'd like to finish up with a one-way. One-way. One way.